0: You're listening to The Green Thumbs Up, brought to you by MiniQuip Hire, WA's leading machinery hire company, supporting the Landscape Industries Association, WA.
1: G'day Landscapers and welcome to another episode of Green Thumbs Up, the landscaping podcast for landscapers by landscapers, brought to you by our good friends at MiniQuip, Doma's Wholesale Nursery and Bailey's Fertilisers. Today I'm handing over to Kieran Kelly and Nick Russell and they're going to introduce their special guest. Nico, here you go.
0: Thanks for that. That Daz, brilliant intro, mate. Loved it. Um, And today we've got Dirk. Dirk um, is a life member of the landscape industry, one of the most preeminent landscapers throughout Perth um, In the was, yes, was. So Kieran, we've got Dirk in the room today. How are you, mate?
1: Very good, uh, Nick. And welcome, Dirk. And uh, Dirk not only is uh, one of the tallest landscapers to be about, but it has one of the longest names in Dirk van Nielstein. I always Um,
2: said I was the biggest landscaper.
1: Yeah and, and, yeah, and... Not, yeah. not the tallest. <laughs> <laughs> no, just the tallest. That's what I mean. Uh Dirk, thanks very much for coming in and, and, and welcome. And it's <laughs> great to have um, uh, life members of Lawara come in and actually speak. And it's uh, good to see where the industry has come from. And if I just run through a few little things, it's back in 1978 that um, yourself and Bob Nat, uh, Greg Bordock, Alan Greenshaw, Larry Lucas actually sat around and had a beer one afternoon and then started the Landscape Association. Can you remember those days? I
2: can, just.
1: Um, (laughs) Yeah, that was how we started, I
2: suppose. And, um, you know, it was a monthly meeting that we all had. Obviously, it was very informal. I suppose things haven't changed an awful lot since then. It was uh, normally around one of the members' houses, a few beers. And the the great thing about it is that we identified what some of the problems were, we obviously shared a lot of um, issues that we were obviously able to resolve amongst us and you know there was a camaraderie there that was, uh, I suppose, very special in the beginning. There was a very limited industry at that stage. There wasn't a lot of people doing landscaping. But amongst the group, as you nominated there, we uh, had no issue in regard to consulting with each other if we had an issue, we'd ring each other up during the course of, you know, the week even and say, well, hey, you know, uh, I've got this issue, have you had that same problem? And if so, how did you resolve it? So that's how it all starts. And and often, you know, if somebody's been there before, well, you can gain from their experience. And that was the, the whole issue. We obviously wanted to, you know, create a certain degree of professionalism in the industry. at in those days... You know, it was sort of utes and flutes and, you know, we put in a couple of plants and, you know, the actual degree of landscaping was far less than what we uh, associate the uh, landscape to be today.
1: I, I suppose it wasn't until probably the mid-80s that... Uh, the true you know the landscaping boom actually took off in wa and i remember dirk doing a few jobs for you early in the days and i th- i would would have thought that um, your business at the at the time urban landscaping was probably one of the first landscapers to actually start doing these uh what uh, subdivisional parks and i think you, you look around at uh, new subdivisions now and they spend a lot of money on their um on their landscaping, but uh, certainly back in those days, it was more so when uh, uh, developers started moving into probably the Wanneroo area, is where we, you know, we where have probably started a lot of those bigger landscape um, jobs, and and all of a sudden, it wasn't the councils who were doing those parks, but it was a private contractor for the private developer. Correct. In fact, one of the more memorable um, associations
2: I had with any client was with Gillen and Osborne. They were builders originally, but then they went into the land subdivision and we had a great re- you know, reputation, or, you no, know, not reputation, but a relationship with them. And we did the first Korean Glades estate. Now, in those days, you know, we did an entry statement. Well, nobody had ever seen that. It had, you know, lettering on it and we did all the trees. Uh, we planted them immediately after the civil guys left. We encased them in strong, you know... Uh, surrounds which were all custom made and painted and they were great props for door frames and window frames for the builders Uh, but it certainly protected the trees and at the end of the day when that estate was developed uh, gradually and you know the developer was very smart in that they only released a limited number of blocks at any one time and they set a very high precedent in that particular estate and they also realised and appreciated the value of landscape. Uh, to their credit, uh, that estate was very successful. To me. Yeah,
1: and I think if you drive down through Kareng Glades now, um, you will see that uh, that is, you know, oh, in, yeah. in that area, it's yeah. quite a prese- yeah. prestigious, prestigious little up, little plot.
0: I grew up in there, and uh, I mean, I still to this day, it it looks amazing. Yeah. Um, some of the plane trees back on Juniper Park and yes. so forth. There, I mean, probably, i um, no doubt you planted those, but they're doing exactly what they they were. You know, meant to do, right. like, and so so was that probably one of the first subdivisions that that took landscaping in that regard. you, yes, you would absolutely.
2: thought. I, I, you know, looking back, there wasn't many developers that, saw, other than Nigel Satley, who obviously, you know, he he took it to another level because they were a much bigger company. And Banks Hewitt used to do a lot of work, uh, as I understand, uh, for him. And um, you know, what it did, it just set a very high standard of subdivisional. Um, presentation, yeah. of course, the public open spaces were seen as very important in terms of marketing, and they were a lot of money was spent, uh, and as it is today, uh, to attract the uh, punters into the estate mm-hmm. and encourage them to buy there rather than somewhere else.
1: So, Dirk, if I just take a couple of steps back, and we we, we do ask this question to most of our guests of how did you first get into the industry? Now, I bl- you are a trained architect. That's correct. I and did, uh, and then moved into landscape architecture. So can you give us a little bit of background of how you went from architecture into landscape architecture? Okay, uh, I suppose uh,
2: chance, uh, opportunity and economic
1: necessity was uh, the three reasons.
2: Um, during our course, which I did uh, architecture out at Curtin Uni, um, and uh, one of the subjects we did in third year, towards the end of our third year, was uh landscape principles in architecture and mr bob hart who was the head of the landscape division of the pwd as it was known in those days came and actually gave us a lecture or a presentation on the importance of landscaping or what you should consider uh, in the built environment and also for residential commercial buildings and i was absolutely enthralled i really appreciated what he presented at the same time I also had to try and find somebody to give me a job the following year because, <laughs> you know we had to do a traineeship for 6 months now that time was one of those typical cycles in perth where you got bust and boom no architect was employing anybody they were all scratching around trying to find work for themselves let alone you know take on students who were just an annoyance um, so I very uh, cheekily, I suppose, went up to Bob at the interview lead and said, hey, you've got an opportunity for a job. I'd love to uh, come and experience uh, your uh, landscape division. And anyway, he checked with his superiors at the PWD and sure enough, I got a phone call and said, yeah, you've got a job. So I spent six months there and I thoroughly enjoyed it, uh, doing presentations for primary schools, documentation, and learning my skills <coughs> and, the, you know, there was Peter... Uh, Ackerman, who was another gentleman at that particular, and a guy by the name of Craig, was one of the draftsmen. was a very small department, so therefore you had interaction with the guys one-to-one almost. So that's where I sort of cut my teeth, so to speak. I then went back to uni after that, but I subsequently got married, so this is where the economic the necessity comes into it. So I started doing you know landscape jobs on the weekends, and I also got a job with a landscape supply company who Um, actually sold uh, railway sleepers and my job was to go out, meet the client, hear what they wanted to do with their yard, uh, do an on-site sketch in colour, uh, work out how many sleepers they need, how many cuts they need. I did a price, rang up, gave them the price. If they approved, I then rang through the office and placed the order and we even provided finance. So that was great training for me in
0: terms of actually being able to be...
2: So where was that? What... Um, um, it was called the Railway
1: Sleeper Supply Company, yeah. it just happened to be...
0: Every design had sleepers in it, no doubt. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm interested and in the financing part of it. Oh, <laughs> it was just a credit yeah. facility yeah. that obviously we could provide to uh, the customer
2: if they uh, needed to. Not many people took no. it out because, you know, invariably it wasn't that expensive. Mm. But there were times when we saw a, a lot of sleepers Yes.
1: Yeah. So from railway sleepers to, the, um, to limestone to reconstituted stone to all, everything that we have these days, Dirk, it's, yeah. uh, yep. it's, um, it's, it's just got bigger and bigger, I, yeah, well, I would think. You you know, know, you know, railway know. sleepers were attuned mm. to
2: Golden Diasmus, Cocos Palms and all those other you know, sort of famous uh, trends mm. that we had in those days and Moss Rock, I suppose, was the other thing. But anyway, um, <clears throat> and I was also asked to start a landscape company for that particular company. Uh, that kind of didn't work out well for me. And uh, anyway, I then decided to go at my own. Um, I also, in my PWD days, I met up with another guy called Luke um, who ran a nursery in Belcata. Uh We got on pretty well. Um, I got an opportunity to do three display homes for Brian Burke Homes. Um, And uh, so I did those, and Luke helped me out with the planting. And then after that, I went back to uni again. So I was sort of doing all this on the side uh, to support my rent and food and various other things. But my wife actually learned a lot more than I did in those days. Um, And um, anyway, as it turns out, we then started uh, urban landscaping, and from there, yeah.
1: And that was what, 1978?
2: Yeah, around about that. Right. Yeah. And And of course the the 80s was a huge era for landscaping Mm. and we grew very quickly. You know, we went from, I remember my first job was doing brick paving now. I'm not a very good brick paver, but in the end it turned out right. But it was herringbones and nine by three as well. It nearly killed me, (laughs) to say the least. Uh, we went on further from there and
1: it wasn't long build. before
2: I was off the tools which was a godsend for me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so urban landscaping at its um, I, you know, I won't say, well oh, maybe at its peak how many people would, would have you employed at that stage? Uh, oh, Luke? We, we only, well I suppose at its peak
2: about 25 people which you know covered you know, admin quantity mm-hmm. surveyors estimators uh, landscape architects we had three or four in the back room we had another draft room. we had one quantity surveyor, uh, project managers we had, and then we had all the guys out in the field. And, uh, you know, I got to a stage... I, my first office, actually, was at the back of my house in Mount Laudan. Mm. But then my wife, as we grew, we had eight people in the backyard. So she uh, put the foot down and I ended up buying commercial premises in Malaga. So that was our base for lots of
0: years, obviously. Where me. you where you were up until recently? Is that yeah. the same, same property? Correct. Yep. But in those days, Malaga
2: was just mm. Crocker Drive and across the road was Bush. Yeah, you know, and so we got in there very early, you know, and uh, that was one of the best uh, things I ever did. <laughs>
1: M- moving I- out of moving out of the home office because I, I I'm sure a lot of our landscaping members uh, Dirk would still be working from the home office, but sure. obviously uh, the need to move was because you had so many people, you know, in your backyard, as you said, working. But uh, w- would you also say that moving from your home based office to a, um, a commercial premises actually gave you a chance to sort of take the break from from work to home Yeah. with that you know exactly. yeah, like you, it,
2: you, you, i mean you know the the alarm used to go off at 5:30 <coughs> in the morning when the guys arrived to go to work at, at home because the alarm system was connected to the to the premises I had in the backyard and uh so it was you know it was pretty uh, it interfered with our private life mm. so yeah, yes. you don't
0: you don't get a break when no, you you, don't. you walk past your office you there's a something in the back garden that hasn't been picked up, or it's, you know yeah, whatever correct. it may be. You, you're always yeah. on, I guess, if it's yeah, and your own. luckily but it was a separate building. It was in yep. a right way I lived in Lauri, oh, okay. so it was in you know, a right away. So we had separate access, which was great.
2: I um, mean, the council weren't too pleased with it, but um, anyway, we we stayed there for a number of years. But yeah, the move to Malaga was certainly mm-hmm. a really strategic move and
1: it made a huge difference. So over the years, Dirk. Um Your impressions or your thoughts about the landscaping industry? How was, you know, from that initial meeting in, you know, in the in the late seventies when you sat down with those other fellows and decided that we need some sort of organisation to actually progress landscaping in WA to where we are now. Um, And I know there's probably been uh, Luara now as we know it. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Nick, but probably over the last four or five years it's actually picked up again. It's sort of waned a little bit there for a while but now we've got a group of people who are trying to, to actually you know, look at your vision early in the early, in the late 70s to actually into now and, we can, and the same problems are probably still there. Well, for, I Peter, I mean, for
2: where you are at the moment, I think it's what we've always wanted to achieve and I think yeah. where Liawa, you say Liawa, <laughs> uh, yeah, either either. <laughs> yeah. Either, either. I wasn't um, sure what he was saying. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Um, you know, with the professionalism that you actually brought in, obviously you got Matt to uh, help out as well, and you know, under your steerage as well, Nick. Um, it's really I, I'm very enthusiastic as to the level that you've brought it up to, uh, the sort of people that are involved. You know, there's a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of young landscapers coming into the profession, or business of landscaping, whatever you want to call it. Um, and uh, look, um, for me, looking back at where we were on those very early days as to where you are now, it's very encouraging. There's no doubt about it. And you're right, we started off with a lot of enthusiasm. We did things like conferences. We actually had a national conference here and Perth. We organised all that. And that was a lot of work. Mm. And that was through a number of you know, El Presidentes. I mean, we all took turns. And you know, the only reason I'm a life member, I hung around for too long. Um, and as was the case with a lot of other guys, we, we were in there for a long time. It did wane there for a little while and I thought, oh, well, you know, it's not going to come out of the ashes, but it did.
0: Yeah, um, well, associations, I think, are only as good as the people involved. True. And I think it needed, um, you know, you guys originally and then just, um, you know, needed to get – you know, everyone involved again, you know, and back right. on track and, and looking after its members. And I think, you know, we're on the right path. Um, yep. Still got a long way to go, but we're definitely definitely working towards probably what you sat down at originally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even this podcast, it's, you know, it, it gets out to people that, you know, don't want to go to networking nights or talk to people, you know, but they can still sit in their car and and feel that they're a part of, you know, similar, you know, they've got the similar issues everyone else has mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I think it, it's definitely helped uh, a lot of a lot of younger landscapers, and I mean that's the aim to bring them on and to 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 help them through. You know, so because the old uh, guard's are moving on. I mean, I'm yeah.
2: actually one of the last, I think, of that initial group to retire, <coughs> except <coughs> for Tim, I think Tim, Tim Davies, yeah, yep. still around, yeah, that sort of stuff. And um, <coughs> so, yeah, I'm really encouraged to see the enthusiasm shown by a lot of the young guys and and The middle ground guys like yourself, Nick, but um, yeah, and also a lot of the um, industrial suppliers have come on board too with a lot of enthusiasm and they realize that obviously, you know, we're the industry is the ones that use their products, yeah, sometimes. yeah. So that's great, and, and with their you know financial sponsorship and that sort of stuff, well, the association is going to do very well, mm.
1: I think. Well, I think we can now see just how big the, I mean. From back in the days of uh, from the late late seventies um, up until now, the industry has survived all this yeah. time, and people are now realising that it, it is a career. Yeah. Um, it is a big industry. Um, there is lots of money spent you know, through that industry. I wouldn't know how much, but I'm sure someone could come up with uh, either me, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars that the industry oh, is worth in, in Perth. Dollars, you yeah, know. you know, it certainly is a large industry. A lot of people yeah. don't realise just how big. They're. Amount of money is spent in
2: WA in any given year on landscaping. It's massive.
1: Mm. And some of the new subdivisions now, Dirk, you, you, you might not drive that far as uh, as far as El Camos or those places further up north, but but uh, you certainly... He's, he's,
0: he's, he's driven through. <laughs> uh, uh, look, again, I've been up on
2: occasions, but look, the quality of the work, you know, a lot of the bigger landscapers are doing some incredible amount of work up there and... The quality of it is really quite fantastic. Mm. There's no doubt about it. But also it's it's because the developers have realized they need to do it as well, you know. So developers are spending huge amounts of money on these POSs, which is a benefit to mm. the industry and also for the end users who will be the people who occupy those estates. And um, you know, I'm I, I would say it's on a, a worldwide scale, it's of a very high standard. Yeah. No doubt about it. I've been overseas and I've been over east, and I tell you what, I think we shit on the over east uh, type of uh, landscape developments in terms of subdivisional landscaping. Um, it's of a much higher standard. No well, I think
0: it. land, um, it's quite competitive. Yes, here. You know, there's more of it, I would have thought, and, you know, the urban sprawl that people talk about, but developers see, you know, the playgrounds and, you know, the POS, you know, those type of investments as key to selling their, you know, their land. You know, and, you know, I've got young staff that that work here and they live up in these areas and they talk about, you know, the playgrounds on the weekend and and people are travelling. I'm not talking, you know, the next suburb to go to a playground. They're, they're, you know, these are destinations for whole of Perth. Some of them, and that, like you say, some of these jobs are a mate, Like, you know, um, you know, looking at the awards over the last few years, some of the commercial landscapers that are winning these awards, yep. you know, some of the work is, you know, like you say, second to none, probably in the world. So, yeah, yeah, we've got nothing
1: to worry
2: about. I mean, the quality and the standard of our workmanship here is very, mm-hmm. Good. Mm-hmm. very good
1: indeed, and it's heartening. Oh, it certainly is. It's it, it's good that the um the industry is being recognised, and uh, it and that will only help you know bring younger people in into our game really. And overall,
2: I mean, looking back, I mean, it's been a fantastic career for me. I mean, I
1: thoroughly enjoyed
2: it. Yeah. I, mean, I thought it was it was a great occupation. Um, the trouble with architecture it takes so long before you see the end product. With landscaping, you can see it within a few months, and it's mm. up and done, and it's very rewarding. Mm. Very diverse. now. I mean, the the range of skills that a landscaper requires to have these days is immense. I I used to call urban landscaping peripheral builders, because the amount of softscaping we did was minimal, mm. you know. And it's all yeah. about hardscaping these yeah. days. Yeah, You know, and uh, and having a full understanding of how that happens and the structural requirements mm. and all that is vital for any young landscaper.
0: So when you were when you were you know up and running, going majority of the work was done in house, or were you use subcontractors, or a combination of both. Combination of
2: both. Yep. yep. Yeah, we we ran our own. Uh, a lot of the hard was done by subcontractors, <coughs> no doubt about it. And yep. That, that is the same today for yep. most landscapers anyway, and most of the soft landscaping and irrigation because we had our own irrigation company. Uh, landscapers did a lot of softscaping. We did a lot of paving in-house as well, that sort of stuff. But then the construction side of thing, which was concrete, bricklaying, plastering, electrical, steelwork, I mean, that, that was always done by our preferred contractors. And We mm-hmm. had a lot of very good contractors who came along for the journey and they were fantastic. Yep. And yep. it's a whole story, you know, you can bring them along and you know you can guarantee to your client that you're going to do a good job because you've got those guys behind you. And uh, so, and it's all about project management. Yeah. Really. And I suppose these days a lot more people are using, you know, collaboratives, I suppose, uh, is one word for it, where, you know, you have a group of guys who get together and they do jobs together. You know, they might know their mate is a concreter and another guy is a bricklayer. And and so, you know, the end result is, is a very rewarding outcome for all those guys.
1: Yep. yep. If the... um the older Dirk could talk to the younger Dirk when you first started out would there be any, uh, any lessons that you'd probably pass on to make the trip a little bit easier for, for and, and this is probably a question coming from coming to uh, younger landscapers who are starting now and we all know that it's great when you've got a mentor to actually you know, guide you through some of the things so you're not making the same mistakes that everyone's made before. but is there any you know, sort of advice that you would give people? starting out in the in the, in the journey these days
2: um, I would say the best thing is just to obviously appreciate uh, your client for one and um, listen to them in the first place um, but then you know meeting a client for the first time can be I suppose rewarding for both people it's a matter of listening to them to, to start with understanding what they want, obviously observing the constraints and opportunities that the project has, but at the same time being forthright enough to obviously say, no, I don't think that's appropriate. And sometimes that's hard to say to a client, but um, sometimes there's a better solution and maybe the client just hasn't thought about it. Um, But that only comes with time too and confidence within Mm. the actual contractor itself.
0: It's, It's quite
2: difficult sometimes to say to a client, well, I wouldn't do anything like that. Um,
0: when, they, when, when it's their money and they want to do it. Correct, yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, you,
2: you've got to understand the client and you've got to have those salesmanship skills as well to be able to do it. But um, the client sometimes not always right um, in what they want. Uh, a lot of them go to Pinterest and they pull out you know, lots of photos and they say, well, this is what I want. But none of it is appropriate for their project, nor does it meet their needs and, and requirements of their site. Either so, sometimes it's a matter of being I suppose, a bit forthright, forthright, mm. and confident in mm. Mm. what you do. Mm. Yeah, and not only you know that comes with time. I must admit. Yep. But if you're young, still be um, confident in what you do, and love what you do. I suppose. Um, look, it's hard. I mean, we've been through. I've been through three recessions and a global financial crisis and a few other things. And you know, there was times when it was bloody hard financially, um, I had the benefit of having very communi- good communication with suppliers and that sort of stuff when I was in the shit. They stood by me mm. you know, mm. because the thing is you've got to talk to your banks, you've got to talk to your suppliers, and if you are f- experiencing difficulty, as long as they know where you're at, it's amazing what people are prepared mm. to do for you. Yeah, they'll stick by. They will. Yeah. And, you know, there's been those cycles. And, you know, we've had really good times and we've made good money. At the same time, when things were really tough, it mm. was tough, and mm. you're looking at hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of, you know, unpaid bills, and yep. you're thinking, "Holy
1: shit, you know, how am I going to pay for it?" But you just put your head down, bum up, and you keep going. Mm. You know? I think that it's very important that uh, communication with your suppliers, as you said, Dirk, because uh, the only way you can really keep trading sometimes is with their um, with their backing. You've got to have
2: relationships mm. with all sorts of people. You've got to have relationships relationship mm. with your clients, your staff, and your suppliers. Mm-hmm. and your bank and your accountant. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got all those lined up, as long as you keep talking to them, they'll understand if suddenly there's an issue or there's a personal problem that comes in the way or whatever. So, yeah, it's about having good relationships. And I think, Nick, you, you actually talked about this on your talk once, that you, yeah. you cherish oh, and yeah. value the sort of relationships you've
0: got. Yeah, definitely, because, you know, like, you know, for example, our retic shops have cro- opposite... You know, Elliot, we've used for 20 years. A lot of people have come in trying to get work. Um, but, you know, from time to time, Elliot has been there when we've needed him, yep. you know, and that's over the last 20 years. And, you know, you don't know what's around the corner. No. So, you know, building those relationships, I think, is important. Yep. You know, it's not – not everything is about the dollar. Nope. You know, it, there's a lot, lot more that goes into it, I think. And, um, yeah, it – yeah you know it I mean from, from just from out my point of view it sounds like a similar journey to yours you know and you, you go through a lot of ups and downs yeah, you and know, we all so. start small I mean I don't know if a landscape <laughs> is suddenly you know, burst on the
2: scene with you a know, million dollars worth of cash in the bank and 20 trucks lined up ready to go well it doesn't happen like mm-hmm. that it, no. it starts small you you grow organically mm. and
0: you know and, and reluctantly yeah, <laughs> sometimes, time, yeah. So, sometimes yeah so <laughs> that's how most businesses start off so For all those
2: young guys out there who are just starting off, well, that's how we all started. But it's, you know, developing those skills and doing what I think there's two things, is good service and quality jobs. And obviously price comes into it, but sometimes price is not everything either. And a lot of people appreciate that too, that they can get a cheap price, but they most probably don't end up with the quality or the service at the end of the day. And, you know, urban landscaping sometimes had a reputation that we weren't the cheapest. But we tried and endeavoured to obviously provide a quality product, and if there was a problem, you throw as much energy and money at it to resolve the issue, mm. to make the client happy. Because at the end of the day, he's the guy who's going to be writing the final
1: check. If mm. he's not happy, you're not going to get it. Mm.
2: You know, it's as simple as that. So there's those three things, you know, price, quality, and service, that we all got to keep in our minds. That when you're dealing with a client, they got to be happy at the end of the day. Mm. And I must say, you know, I've had some. Very, very good clients, and I've been lucky enough to do some pretty amazing jobs for some of them.
1: Any particular job uh, when you look back into the uh, the brag book, the, the, the portfolio? You, you did mention Korean Glades as one of your first ones, and yeah. and as I said, uh, and as Nick said when he's brought up there, you can still go back there now and, and, and see what was oh, happened. But yeah, yeah it's the old cliche, you know, the best time to plant a tree was twenty
2: years ago next best time
1: is now. <laughs> bit, well,
2: you know, exactly so right. So landscapes go out there. Mm. You know, because Korean Glaze is a clear example where the trees were protected. You know, we didn't get people pulling them out. All right, it's a different socioeconomic mm. group out there too. Mm. It was a prestigious estate, there's no doubt about it. But at the end of the day, that is a clear example through good design and also a bit of care to start with. Um, you can end up with some great... We talk about providing shade. Well, obviously that's our biggest problem in a lot of these modern suburbs is that you know we've got zero setbacks, we've got minimal setbacks, we've got no eaves, and we've got very little space to create gardens. Well, trees are very... Mm. There's no doubt about it. And if you can even just have a good street trees. But the good thing about Koreans is that even the streets were done on a theme, and the streets are named
1: after tree species. Right. Ash. Yep. Sycamore? Mm. yep. Sycamore? Sycamore drive, Sycamore Drive. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, the main drive, through. Yeah. Yep. So they're named
2: after trees, and I... Funny enough the tree that was
0: planted was after the name of the street
2: sure. the street was named after the tree that we actually master planned into that particular estate mm. you know so yeah I think that's a good example but you know I got to say some of my more rewarding jobs came at the end I have I did one job recently say a couple uh, three years ago which I'm very proud of it was, uh, it was for a client it was my second opportunity to do work for him. And I was very happy. It was a small job in Fremantle, and very rewarding indeed. Uh, very good client, close friends, and uh, yeah, I can look back and the portfolio is massive.
0: Oh, I could imagine, yeah, Huge. But,
2: you know, and also you know, I got to thank even some of my you know bigger clients. You know, we did a lot of work for Australand, those sorts of people. Um, we were the pioneering landscapers down at Port Coogee. You know, like chiselling into solid limestone, so <laughs> dig a hole for a tree.
0: Oh, don't worry, we're down there. Uh, <laughs> all, you know, yeah. all of us go down there. So. Yeah. It's and, you <laughs> know,
2: that was a great project to be involved with initially, but obviously you know, it changed, it all went out to That We were there primarily as a design and construct type of arrangement, and I understand why that changed. But, um, you know, it was, uh, we, we certainly cut our teeth down there, there's no doubt about mm. it. It was, a, it was a very, very rewarding job. And to this day, it still looks, you know, it's an amazing subdivision, mm-hmm. no doubt about
1: it. Well, there's nothing more um, uh, you know, exciting for me as well. And I'm sure lots of landscapers to actually drive around and say, you well, know, I did plant that tree or I did well, do that can, garden. Do remember that one of the first times we crossed paths, we transplanted
2: that Tipuana Tipu into that house in Dalkeith.
1: And uh, Dirk, it's still growing yes. and it's uh, probably about 15 times bigger than what it was. Yes. But uh, That's yeah. That's
0: unusual for a Tipu. Eh? <laughs> yeah,
1: well, uh, it was funny. It was funny because Dirk did have it in, uh, by his back office, and realised after probably about four or five years after planting that big it's big, going to be a bit big. Yeah. big. <laughs> <Yeah>. Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, luck- luckily, I was looking for one, and he wanted to get rid of one. But uh, Dirk, if you drive past, you will see that yeah. from the street, I and, it's, I've past a and it's and yeah. and yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and a and yeah. a very very good uh, a good, so, sh- good shade tree.
0: So what have you you know obviously retirement now, Dirk. What yes. are, what is what is life holding for you now? What are you um, up to?
2: Okay, I'm trying to reduce my golf handicap, which is going to take a fair amount of effort, to say the least. Half um, your luck. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I have the opportunity now to pay twice a week rather than once, <coughs> which does help. Um, I'm also um, <coughs> sort of uh, now the proud. Uh, grandfather of four grandchildren. Unreal. So they yeah. keep me busy a couple of days a week. Yep. And, uh, you know, I've still got uh, interest in my own garden and uh, and also planning a lot of trips. We've held back a little bit because obviously, you know, uh, making sure that the business was wound down properly, but now it's a matter of us travelling. So, And, of course, running your own business, so sometimes to find time for holidays mm. is difficult yeah so i'm going to make uh, up for all those lost opportunities that I uh, missed out on when I was running my own business, but that's another lesson I think you know take time out for yourself because you know it can be all consuming there's no doubt about it, and you know most guys who run their own business they're doing sixty hours a week as a minimum minimum right? yeah I would have thought yeah and uh, you know even if you've got a hundred staff or whatever and you delegate out as much as you can, it's still there in the back of your mind. Oh, it's stressful. You don't go to bed not thinking about it. Yeah, mm. yep. And you wake up in the morning and you think, it's raining. Yeah. Oh, my God, what are I going to do with it? They're yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all going to be gonna sitting in that. their
1: cars and I'm going to be paying for them. <laughs> this
2: morning. You know, I woke up thinking, oh, I could just roll over and pull the doona up and I can go back to sleep rather than have to worry about what the guys are doing. You know? mm. so, but in retirement, it's you know, it, it's my long service leave. Accrued. Accrued, yeah. So, uh, But I'm enjoying it and uh, it's less stressful. There's no doubt about that. And uh, life's good.
1: No yeah. about it. Well, thank you very much, Dirk. Thanks for your insight for um, uh, the, the, the history of landscaping in Perth and, and where we started all those years ago back in 1978 and up until now. And um, I'm sure that uh, there's probably some people listening thinking, God, you know, 1978, I wasn't even born. Well, there'd be a lot of guys out there that weren't born. Mm. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. But look, I, I,
2: I'm of the opinion that I was in very good hands, and I think you know, upwards and onwards would be good.
0: No, thanks, Dirk. And now I, I appreciate that because I'm now looking forward to my long service leave oh. in 20 years' time. Oh, right. <laughs> well, don't wait that long. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe you need a little
1: holiday in between, Nick. Yeah.
0: No, good on you, Dirk. Thanks yeah. for, yeah, great. Great to hear from you as well. No problem at all. It's been a <laughs> pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. You've been listening to the Green Thumbs Up, brought to you by the Landscape Industries Association, WA, sponsored by Miniquip Hire.